Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. It's our 100th episode. Sports, wellness, entertainment, comedy, chefs. The list goes on and on of people that I'm so very proud that have taken their time, their energy to join this show. And I want to thank everybody who contributes to this show. Melissa, my current producer, thank you very much. Corey, my past producer, thank you very much. Jam, thank you, thank you, thank you very much for the time you guys have put in and doing this show. I want to also shout out Kirsten, who works with The Post, who does an amazing job working with me to do the column each week. I want to thank Sean. I want to thank Warren. I want to thank my Rock Nation fan. You know, I can keep thanking people. But you know who else I want to thank? You. That's who. Because the people make the show what it is. And I appreciate being able to bring you, like Goody Mob once said, that good old-fashioned soul food. Teaching and learning, doing therapy and healing. That's what this show represents for me. And it's only right coming up. I'm going to look back at some of my favorite moments since we started the show. Let's go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. A show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. We do a new episode every Thursday. So download the show, leave a five-star rating, and I appreciate all of the comments. And remember that the Renaissance Man is up for a People Choice Award. Not only one, but two. We're being considered in both entertainment and best black hosted categories. Winners will be announced on September 30th. And if you happen to be a judge, I, we appreciate your consideration and support. You know, these themes are really personal to me. So it's only right that this week's theme is give everything 100. When we first started this show in October of 2020, there was so much uncertainty in the world. We were in the middle of an epidemic, a pandemic. Travel was put on hold. Sports stopped. The world stopped. 
it almost felt like life was on hold. But despite all of that, I wanted to make a show that brought together all types of ideas, leadership, perseverance, self-care, and of course, humor and conversations with inspiring people who are not just successful in their industry, but could also be honest about the work that it took for them to become who they are. It feels so good to hear from listeners how much they've learned from me. That's who, just by listening to this show. But I want to be honest, this show, as I mentioned, is a form of therapy for me because the guests that have been on this show, like myself, like you, have grown, have changed a lot over the last weeks, months, years. And my takeaway is the next 100 episodes are going to be just as special, as consistent, as thought-provoking, and as honest. And it's only right that I share some of my favorite moments from this show, the Renaissance Man podcast, from Carissa Thompson to Rose, Rick Ross. These guests have gotten real with us for the past 100 episodes. One of my most cherished conversations was with my brother, Big Sean, fellow Detroiter, grew up in the same neighborhood. His mom went to Michigan. When JRLA had its first graduation, he was standing on stage at the Teen's Choice Awards. 10 years ago, when I took my daughter, he took a picture with Mariah. Just recently, shouted out the Jalen Rose Leadership Academy in his bars on a hit record with Hit Boy, who's also been on this show. And I'm grateful that he took the time and to watch how his life has changed over the past couple of years. In particular, his lovely queen, Janae, is now pregnant. So it's only right that one of my favorite clips feature Big Sean. And we had an honest conversation about our city and what it meant to grow up there. Check it out. We're about to go deep into Detroit. Yes. Please tell them about what it was like for you growing up early childhood in Detroit in your family dynamics and the neighborhood that you grew up in. Well, I grew up on North Line between Six Mile and Curtis. And, um, you know, it was a very, very, it was all I knew. So to me, it wasn't, it wasn't bad, you know, or anything, but it was a lot of activities going on. You know, it was a lot of, a lot of things I saw that I realized wasn't normal later on, but it made me who I am and it taught me a lot and it was beautiful. You know, I, I see the beauty in it. Even when I go back all the time, I see the beauty in it. At Lou's Deli right there on Six Mile and Roseline, I see the beauty in it. And it gave me the foundation and it's unbreakable. That's why I always have to support it. That's why I always have to rep it and talk about it because it gave me the foundation I needed to go far. 
So I appreciate every every moment of it. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned Lou's right there on Six Mile and Rose Line. Uh-huh. By the way, I grew up on Green Line, right around the block from there when I was young. We oh, yeah. used to walk up there and get sandwiches. It used to be like Subway, where you could just continue to order, 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 and get to the end and stack it up. Yeah, that corned beef. Exactly. It was. It's amazing, bro. And, you know, I grew up right by Mumford and Bagley, and I ended up going to Cass, but it was just so impactful, bro. It was – and it was, it was never – it it, it it got hard at sometimes, but it never got, you know, every time it was impossible, every time things didn't seem to go in our favor, we always found a way to survive. And that's just, I feel like the mentality of the city is like, we always going to find a way to not only survive, but figure out a way to boss up too, you know? No question. We went from being a city that had 2 million as our population to around 600,000. So we've seen all type of epidemics and pandemics. Give people a snapshot about Detroit as the auto industry started to phase itself out and the crack started to be prevalent in our community. I mean, it was, for me, as long as I can remember, it's always been people leaving the city of Detroit. You know, after the automotive industry was the most popular and a, a renaissance of the whole country. You know, the first mall ever built in a, in a, in America was in Detroit, was Northland. And the first paved street, you know, was Woodward in the whole country. So Detroit has always been authentic and innovative and ahead. You know, we've been at the top. And, and then when things started to shift, when the automotive industry and all the jobs started to leave and when crack started to to come and violence started to rise and people started to move out. It became dangerous to a lot of people. It became, you know, unbearable to a lot of people. It became high risk to even go out. You know, I couldn't even go outside further than my mom could yell and I would be back in two or three minutes. I couldn't go further than that. You know, it was before kids had cell phones and everything. Like I I could only go a few houses down either way you know and both of my neighbors were into crazy activities obviously i'm never snitching but i'm just saying it was like it got dangerous sometimes right around us ducking on the floors you know and everything but through all of that i met some of the realest most authentic people ever you know what i mean and people who you know changed the world you know not just the city changed the world and um it, it was crazy i mean what about you what's your perspective on it because I feel like we have that underdog mentality. We've had to sit back and watch the East Coast in New York eat off of entertainment and music, and that's the birthplace of hip-hop, and we're forever grateful. And then L.A. had entertainment and movies on lock. And for us, it was the auto industry and our music, Motown, the heartbeat of what we did. And it became the soundtrack of our lives because all of the things you just described is like we were walking down the streets and we were avoiding landmines and we didn't even know it. Exactly. It's dangerous. How how did you survive? One of the things that was playing in our head was music, the soundtrack, Marvin Gaye, what's going on? All of these songs 
that became of soundtracks to our lifestyle. How did you survive? And first of all, Motown gave us, gave black people an identity in music. We didn't have it. We didn't have an identity before that. You know, it wasn't just a genre. It, wasn't, it was an identity. That's never been done ever, you know, uh, until then. And how I survived, bro, I, I, stayed my, I stayed myself. Even though I was around certain things, family members who sold drugs and, you know, would do dumb things, I, I learned from their mistakes, first of all. And second of all, I just, I had to just stay myself. I just knew that even though I grew up where I grew up and from the hood and everything, like, I feel like I just was like on a different path, you know? I feel like I had to do a, a bigger cause and then bring it back to the city and do it for the city. You know, and that just was always my mentality since I was 11 years old, you know, since I first started rapping. Part of why I love making this podcast is to hear all kinds of stories, especially from my good friends who I see ascend in the industry, like Carissa Thompson. And at this time, you would never have guessed she told a story about a time she had a chance to interview Michael Jordan and Larry Bird. And you know what she said in my E-40 voice? Nope. Check it out. And you decided that you didn't want to do it? Is that right? Not that I didn't want to. I was peeing down my leg. I was so nervous about doing it. I said, I got to go change my clothes. I can't do it. No. I, uh, I was. I was working for the Big Ten Network. Jeffrey Jordan, Michael's uh, youngest, was playing at Illinois. Mm-hmm. We were at yeah. the um, Conseco Field House. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Yes, well, they changed the name a couple of times. Okay, yeah. Depending you know on who's writing the check. Exactly. <laughs> so we're in Indiana, Indianapolis. And uh, and so Larry was there and Michael was there. And my producer gets in my ear and he says, okay, we need you to go up to the suite, interview Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. I said, what? I said, I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm working the Big Ten tournament. I didn't just expect to be like given the biggest interview I would ever have in my life, let alone the biggest interview I had when I was 25 years old. I said, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Would you say? I go, I said, I can't do it. I was like, I will, I will live the rest of my life not doing this interview as opposed to doing the interview and messing it up so bad that I'm embarrassed in front of my childhood hero, Michael Jordan and uh, a close second Larry Bird. So I didn't do it, and I, I'm, I'm still okay with the decision because in my mind, I, I didn't mess it up. So that's all that mattered. Doing this show gives me a chance to see different sides of human beings that I respect, that are talented, that I've gotten a chance to break bread with. Rose and I were in Cookout together, a movie that Queen Latifah did with Common maybe 15 years ago. That's the first time I met him. And then when he dropped hustling, hustling, every day I'm hustling, I was always a fan. It's lyrics, hooks, it's beats, it's delivery. But you know what I really love? Forever Rich, Rose. He and Khaled, be living their best life. And I love it so much to see people grow in different areas of their lives. 
He's an entrepreneur. Wingstop, Champagne, the list goes on and on and on. So it's only right. When I had him on the show, I had to ask the biggest boss what he spends his hard-earned money on. Check it out. So what is one of the worst things that you've spent money on? Mm. Ah, let me see. Let me see. Now, this is a different type of question for Rose, because we usually, <laughs> even if it's, you know, even if it's some different type of shit, we usually <laughs> find a way to make it easy. You know, you know uh, I purchased an $80,000 horse. Mm. I did you race the horse? Was it for personal use? It was just for personal use. and. When I say that dollar figure, sometimes people, you know, motherfuckers say $80,000. And what, what may be the cherry on top is, I forgot the type of horse it was. Of course you did. <laughs> the Renaissance man will have people on the show. And then you get Curtis 50 Cent Jackson to join the show, and that changes the game. Not only do I love BMF, but I also love power. And one of the more controversial things that happened on power had nothing to do with acting. It had to do with the theme song. And I had to ask Curtis 50 Cent Jackson why he changed the theme to power and how the fans didn't like it. One of the things, and I know you're really meticulous, that had people like me a little upset is when you changed the theme song. Yeah, yeah, that didn't work out. You know what I'm saying? Talk to me about listen. that, family. You gotta look to look. I'm, I'm in a recording studio, right? It's me. <laughs> and and, and to, to Trey Songs, to his defense, right? He said Shout to Trey me, Songs. Shout Joe. <laughs> yeah, Trey, Trey, he said to me, he was like, yo, you want to change that? Why? And I was like, nah, because it'll give it a fresh feel, like something new. I said, listen to the track, though. When I played it, he was like, oh, I see what you're saying. Because the record was like, it had that, that, that feeling to it. And look, it was going up the charts when they were saying no to me. I just said, why fight the audience when what they want is more important right. than me getting what I want with the song? As you ascend in this industry, you meet people that become friends, mentors, counsel, those that you learn from. I've watched Cedric the Entertainer perform everywhere. That is my brother. I was there at his bachelor party. Won't go into details, but I was there. And probably had more than one. He deserves that if he did. But here's what I will also say. Not only extremely talented on television, whether it was the Steve Harvey show, but he's doing his thing right now on CBS, The Neighborhood. and. That show's been on for years, and that's my brother from another. St. Louis's finest. You always see him clean. You always see his hat game A+. But says shares something that not many people may know. The origin story of his name. Check it out. So I know Cedric, the entertainer, isn't your government name. When did you decide to add that? You know, that name came about, it was really kind of a, an osmosis thing, man. I was uh, performing in a, in, a, in a club in St. Louis, and the guys, I was a new comedian, 
And it was, he kept introducing all the other guys before me as comedians, this next comedian, this next comedian. But I did like, I sang when I got on stage, I did poems, I would do anything to fill my time up. So I said, don't call me a comedian, call me an entertainer, just out of respect that I didn't have enough jokes to be considered a comedian. And so he called me Cedric, the entertainer. And I went up, I had a killer show, got a stand ovation. When I came off, he called me Cedric, the entertainer again. And I just kept it. That was it. That was the name. That's dope. And I've watched you perform hundreds of times. And so your versatility on stage to earn the name entertainer. So can you recall the song that you were singing or the poetry that you did? Yeah, I used to do the big thing was I, I would do like Luther Vandross. So, you know, one of my big jokes back then was Luther being little and he he learned to sing because he was fat in, in, in elementary school. So he was singing his alphabets. A, B, C, D, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. <laughs> and then Big Luther, all the girls would be like, Luther, you want some out of my lunchbox? And he would say, yes, and that's, that's why he got away from. <laughs> also on this program, when I say we cover everything, entertainment, current events, that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what we've done. And guess one of my favorite guests, the extremely talented Gabrielle Union. And one of the things we talked about, shout to D-Wade, her husband, my brother, Hall of Famer, but Gabrielle Union and I, we got real about self-care. And we also talked about the importance of therapy and what it meant to see her husband, Dwayne Wade, seek that out after he retired from the NBA. Here's the clip. You mentioned a term that used to be taboo in the black community therapy and for so very long we felt like talking about your pain was a sign of weakness as black men and as black women i applaud that you and your husband have been very outspoken about this topic especially now with covid 19 and dealing with the pandemic why is that so very important for those who have access and what are some of the things that you hope to see happen for those who have not been granted that access to be exposed to therapy therapy is 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 such a a beautiful healing helpful tool to be your best self and live the life you 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 should you should and want to live um, and a lot of times our childhood traumas or trauma that, it, that happens at any point in life kind of can handicap us or, 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 or shackle us with the, um, with the burdens of, of trauma that can, that can freeze you in place, that can send you backwards. All of the, all of the progress that you, you made, it can either freeze you in time or send you hurtling backwards. And it robs you. Of, of, of your most authentic self and everything that you can accomplish. It robs you of your dreams. It's a dream snatcher. Um, so therapy is just a, a, a massive tool to help you reclaim your life and your peace and your sanity. And I know so many parents get nervous about sending their children to therapy or going themselves as if it is a some kind of universal symbol of failure. Um, oh, if my kid needs therapy, I'm failing as a parent. And I don't, I don't want to give anyone that public failure. 
I don't want to take that L for myself and for my kids. But really, the best gift you can give your children is freedom. And sometimes that freedom comes in healing and the healing can come from therapy. So it's just reframing it in our minds um, and and kind of stopping that that negative talk in its track. You know, whether you're at the hair salon, barbershop, school, work, wherever, family reunion, when when people start talking about mental health challenges and someone says something negative, stop them in their tracks. You don't have to let that that kind of talk go on around you. Mm. You can be like, no, actually healing is the move. Actually, I want to be whole. Actually, I don't want to still be talking about something that happened in 1986 because I haven't healed from it. Why, why do we still have these conversations every Thanksgiving? Because nobody is healing. So <laughs> you want different, we got to do different. And a lot of times that starts with, with healing. Um, and I, do, I strongly encourage it. I think one of the, the, the most powerful things my husband has ever done, and he's done a lot of powerful things in his, in his day, um, but it was the last season and he was having an interview with uh, Rachel Nichols. And she asked him, like, what was next? You know, after you retire, this illustrious you know, MBA career. And he was like, therapy. And mm-hmm. I was sitting on the stairs listening. I'm out of the frame. I'm just listening. because I'm. I love listening to him talk. And when he said that, I was like. And then I was like, mm, let's see if you really go. <laughs> right. That sounded great. But let's see if you really go. And then when he retired. That was the first appointment, along with a bunch of doctor's appointments to right. you know, start healing the rest of his body. But uh, yeah, no, the, one of the first things he did was start going religiously every week. In the pandemic, switch to Zoom and Skype. Like nothing, he didn't let anything stop him from healing because he recognized, I'm gonna need help. He's seen the guy, uh, you've seen them. Mm-hmm. You've, you've seen a lot of guys who just don't handle the transition well. Their families are not able to stay intact. Their psyche is not able to stay intact. A lot of the childhood stuff um, that that they were able to kind of put off to the side while they while y'all were playing, mm-hmm. it comes back at, with all the other friends yes. that, they, that y'all picked up, you know, over the NBA or professional sport, and it all just gets dropped at your feet, mm-hmm. um, and you have no no more outlets, and you know all you have is you and whoever has stuck around um, correct so it's just i don't know so as a family we're just really big on therapy i've been going since 92 and it is honestly the thing that has kept me alive to be quite honest every time you watch daytime tv you see one of my friends and favorite television personalities we go back to the days of me playing for the Chicago Bulls. As I was playing basketball and trying to ascend in media, she was doing the exact same thing. And Tamron Hall was working on MSNBC, CNN, multiple networks for me to even name, multiple jobs. But what she's doing now is very well deserved. She's extremely talented, hardworking, intelligent, And the sky's the limit for her show and its potential. One of the things I also liked about our interview, come a little closer if you black. When you look at the spelling of her name, you got to call her Tamron. So that's what people used to do. Shout to Killer Cam in the dip set. It's a play on words, Tamron. So during the interview, instead of me calling her Tamron, 
I was calling her Tamron. And at some point, she appreciated the distinction because she said the people who called her Tamron were there from the beginning. She didn't get mad at me. I appreciated that. And also, we talked candidly about the pressure of succeeding in our careers while also being minorities. Check this out. The industry does that to you. Breaks you. And it hardens you in a way that you don't feel like you even want to open up anymore and make yourself vulnerable. I sense some of that as well. I do too. And I'm sure you've experienced it and I have as well. You know, you, you, it is, one of my favorite movies is Rocky. I, I remember seeing it in the second grade. I went to school crying. The teacher was like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I saw this movie. Man in it. And when I interviewed I Sylvester Stallone for the first time many years ago, I t- shared him with this, shared this story with him. You know, listen, we all get knocked down on the mat and, and we hope that we have the ability to get back up. Only recently, though, did I acknowledge how different it is when you're on the mat and you're black and you're mm-hmm. and that feeling of of, oh gosh, you know, can I get up? And the other obstacles that are in front of me, I did, I recently hosted an event on how these corporations are trying to hire diverse um, Mm -hmm. candidates. But the second tier of that is retaining and keeping us once we're in the door, Mm -hmm. because everybody wants to court diversity, but then giving you the tools to succeed, to thrive, the leeway to grow is not often afforded. It's like, okay, as you said, perfect 10, Simone, or we're on to the next version of you. In my early part of my career, I replaced the same black woman three times at three different stations because it was a one for a one, right? So imagine how she felt seeing me the second job coming in, right? It's like, because you have that added pressure and you also, when you're often um, one for one or two in a room, it's, well, are they there because they're a token? Mm-hmm. Are they there because they're qualified? All of these things that I have faced in my career. I remember reading something on a blog that called me Token Hall. Now I'd gone oh. to Temple University. I've been an A student. I've been in the magnet program. I've done everything and I work hard. I, You're not going to outwork me. Now you just might be more talented, but you're mm-hmm. not going to outwork me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read and dedicate myself to the show, to my team, whatever I'm doing. And to have at that part of my career, uh, which was about 12 years ago when I started MSNBC, someone writes, that was Token Hall. You know, it, it could have broken me. It definitely hardened me. It made me defensive because then you're going, wait, well, I, I deserve to be here. And so I'm so busy trying to prove why I'm there versus having the leeway to just do the job. And I tell these stories not to say, that I would have wanted it any other way. Because at the end of the day, if I can survive it and we can talk about it, that helps the next person. Um, thank God it hasn't made me bitter. I, I laugh about being fired. That doesn't happen much in one's life because it wasn't like I had millions in the bank when it happened. Right. But as I said before, I come from people who know how to get back up, right? My grandfather would go to church every Sunday with Stacy Adams on. And in the weekday, he was a pit man in the back of a grocery store you know, barbecuing and handing out, you know, his, his meals that he was making to somebody else. Right. So I, that's just, I'm not wired that way, but I understand how it can break you. And uh, there have been days that I had to have the Jesus take the wheel, 
mm-hmm. because I did want the car to go off the tracks. I ha- I am in therapy. I'm regularly in therapy. My husband is a phenomenal soundboard for me. My mother, I call her every day and I've learned to keep my, my circle. And I you know you've talked so lovingly about your mom and, and everything she's meant to your life. And I have that same relationship. My mom is my best, is my best friend, right? Mm-hmm. And I soundboard more than ever before because we do have an extra challenge in the workplace that's not acknowledged and I wasn't even able to acknowledge it until recently. Not many chances do you get to meet your heroes and then your heroes exceed everything you thought about them. That's what Irvin Magic Johnson has meant in my life. One of the five greatest basketball players of all time, the greatest point guard of all time, played 12 NBA seasons, made it to the finals, nine of them, won five championships. He's also a Michigander from Lansing, went to Michigan State, won a national championship, and then the next year won a championship as a rookie and won finals MVP. That's GOAT status. And you could talk about Magic Johnson all day and never mention his playing career. You know why? He's arguably more successful as an entrepreneur and a businessman and a team owner. Magic Johnson got more jobs than Steve Hart. Magic Johnson is the epitome of what are you going to do after basketball? Intelligent, leader, ambassador for the game, but an ambassador for how to conduct yourself in life. It was only right that I touched upon the keys of leadership with none other than Irvin Magic Johnson. You're clearly a magnet. So what do you do if you're trying to build an organization or like put together a team or be the captain and leader of the team? Like what are some of those attributes you in part that have made you so successful? Well, I, first of all, I, I, I put a team around me to help me achieve my goals, right? Uh, when I first came out of basketball, I didn't know business, so I got me some mentors. That's number one. I got mentors who, again, helped me and developed me into a businessman. And then I read a lot of books, Jalen. I'm a reader. I like to read books. I like to, you know, I idolize guys, Steve Jobs, all these guys who are who were very successful. I, uh, what made them successful? What makes them tick? And uh, so I follow those guys, right? And so then uh, on the other side of that too, as well, I made sure that I told Dr. Buss, you as the owner of the Lakers, you have to be my first mentor. Teach me business. And sure enough, he explained business to me, Jalen. That's really how I got started. And so I owe him a lot for helping me while I was still a player, you know, and then I put a team around myself. Mm-hmm. Michael Ovitz, who was the most powerful agent probably ever in the history of agency, who, who started and built CAA, mm. he, he said to me, do you think you're the best basketball player? I said, yes. Then you got to get the best people around you, the best managers, the best agents, the best accountants, those who don't need you. <laughs> Don't need your money. Right. right. <laughs> but will be honest with you and can help you advance in your business career. 
that was really what got me started in business, Jalen. And I tell you, I am so happy because what I tried to do was prove the myth wrong that athletes can become businessmen, right? right. They said before that they were talking about, oh, we can only play on the field or on the court. Mm -hmm. You know, no way they can run a business or that. Look now, look at you and I. You Correct. own your Correct. own company. I Correct. own my own company. Correct. So we we are already so many people, Jalen, are proud of us. We are role models to so many people, not just in sports, but outside of that, because of what you have achieved, the shows that you own and the thing, this right here, what you're doing right now, mm -hmm. because now that shows other minorities, not just black young men, but also Latino young men, yes. on and on and on, that they can do it. I've showed other that they can do it, people of color. So that's very, very important. So I'm just blessed, man. I got a team. I got people who are smarter than me, <laughs> who are hard workers like me, because I'm a hard worker. And I only want workers. I, I don't want people who uh, clock watchers, who watching the clock. I want people who understand this word. And this is the word I live by, how to over deliver. So you have over delivered to ESPN. You have over delivered with your podcast and on, on it. You've over delivered with your school in Detroit. So all the things that you do see Jalen got his fingerprints and on, on it, right? You're involved. You're really involved. You're not a figurehead. It's just like me. I'm not a figurehead. I run my company. <laughs> I'm signing the checks, not an agent, not a manager. I know what happens. So that's very important. I said the vision here, we got to execute on that vision. I got a team to do that. And that's how I've done it, man. Last call. Last call. Again, I'd like to thank you. That's right. You for stopping by the podcast renaissance man supporters fans because of you we've reached our 100th episode and are up for two people's choice podcast awards one thing that has stuck out to me about you our fans supporters is how much you love and share the pod and you know what i did you know what we did we took the time to celebrate you so it's only right we took a couple of the comments and reviews from Apple Podcast, and I'm going to read them to you because I'm so very grateful. And one of the things I always appreciate about this show, that if you start this program 80% of the time, you finish it, which means what I'm about to do is really for you because you're the listeners that's listening all the way through. Like Han Cholo 32 who said, and I paraphrase while quoting each of these. Thank you for the content you put out. It's always great to hear Jalen's last call and his stories of the experiences that he's had. It's refreshing to hear these experiences and how these individuals pushed to get what they wanted. My personal favorite was the Magic Johnson episode, but my favorite last call so far has been life is a contact sport. Todd M said, I can't front your intro. Love doesn't need many ingredients. Mm. For Chef Kwame, 
that episode really touched me. Almost shed a thug tear. Much love and respect, Jalen. King Rob Nine said, shout out Jay Rose. Started out listening to J&J about eight years, and it's great to see how far the young king has come. Mark Cuban and Van Jones are probably my favorite interviews, but much love. Keep up the good work. And I got you, Carmen, who said, inspirational and motivational guests is one of the many reasons why I listen to this podcast. Real questions, real answers. Appreciate the work that's being put in. So I want to thank you, my family, my Renaissance Man team and family for sharing the love and for sharing your favorite guest themes and sharing the show with those that you love. So now I ask you a question. Who do you want to see on the podcast? Tell me. Leave a comment. I want to hear your thoughts. Fashion icon, athlete, health and wellness expert, actor comedian who do you want to be on the show but i have to ask you a question that's really important who inspired you on your road to greatness i say it all the time failure is not an option and surround yourself in situations that you're appreciated not tolerated i'm the renaissance man see you next week